start off by asking you a question. And it's a very simple question. Has anybody ever heard of what you may call a top ten list? A top ten list. Okay, you never, most of you have never heard of a top ten list. Okay. How many people have never heard of a top ten list? Series Church ranks number one on that list. Right? A top ten list. Give me an example of a top ten list. A music, right? What else? Movies, top ten movies, what else? Books, right? The richest, right? What else? Hottest men? <laughs> Cars, right? Right? Yeah, uh, the most uh, well-dressed men, you could say. Um, the not-so-well-dressed uh, men, right? Now, ladies and gentlemen, the reason I bring this up is because... Here's my question. If you could be on a top ten list, what list would that be? And I want you to be honest right now. You would say, oh yeah, I think I could be on this top ten list. Okay, raise your hand if you dare. Yes, Gary, what is the top ten list you think you could be on? <laughs> think you could be on? Okay, anybody else? Who wants to be brave enough to tell me? What is, we have a hand raise? Okay, Royce? Longest bodybuilder in age. So we would say the oldest bodybuilder? No, the longest. How many years have you been doing bodybuilding? 60 years of bodybuilding. Wow. Amen. Coda, how about you? What, what is it? Best cornbread. Okay, top 10 list. Anybody else? Yes, what would you say would be a top 10 list for you? Have you what? Have you heard the word of the Lord? Okay, how about you? Riches, I'm sorry. Riches, okay. How about you? Uh, one of the top 10 talkers in the whole world, okay. You guys are brave. Anybody else? Jay, what about you? What top 10 list do you think you can end up on? Your voice is out. Very convenient right now. <laughs> Actually, he's telling the truth. I know that. Anybody else? Top 10 list. Yes, Amy. Bargain finder. Okay, very good. Now, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. I was doing some research on some of these top 10 lists. Imagine if you ended up on this list. History's top 10 most evil people ever existing. Imagine that. Imagine if you actually had a reputation for being on the top 10 most evil list. Now imagine if that list was sort of spread out a little bit more ever in history. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there is somebody in the Bible who actually makes that list. His name is Judas Iscariot. Now, the reason I bring this up is because many times, whenever you hear a sermon about Judas, how many people want to come to that sermon? You're like, I'm so excited to hear a sermon about Judas. I mean, I'm just delighted, I'm encouraged by that sermon, right? I, I, I'm very particular, whenever I'm preaching about Judas, not to mention Judas in the sermon towel. You want to know why? Because half of you probably wouldn't be showing up, including me. Because anytime you hear about that name, there's almost this visceral feeling that hits you and almost it makes you shudder. Because nobody ever wants to be in the place of Judas. 
Everybody take your Bible. We're going to be looking at something very interesting. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. By the way, for those people who have come into church perhaps for the first time, I know somebody actually came in here and they opened up the door and they thought, oh my goodness, am I at a funeral? No. This is the communion table, okay? It's not a casket. All right, we're in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. If you're there, go ahead and say amen. John chapter 13. John chapter 13. We're going to start with verse 1. And I want you to immediately pay attention to the confrontation that is immediately present in Scripture. John chapter 13, starting with verse 1. Notice what the Bible says right here. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own, two who were in the world, He loved them to the what? Pay attention to this. The Bible here is describing the unconditional love of Jesus for His people. Notice the very next verse. Verse 2, and supper being ended, the devil having already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to what? Betray him. Right off in John chapter 13, you almost find this whole new section being introduced in scripture. And here Jesus is recognizing the time has come, his hour has come. And the Bible is describing his heartfelt love. What you are looking at, ladies and gentlemen, is God in human flesh. Can you say amen to that? Verse 2 actually describes Lucifer in human flesh. The scriptures are immediately painting this tension that's existing between Lucifer and Jesus. This confrontation at the end of time, or at the end of Christ's life right here. And notice what the Bible says next, it's very remarkable. Verse 3, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hand and that He was going... That he was going, excuse me, giving all things into his hand, that he was come from God and was going to God. He rose from the supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. Here the Bible describes Jesus and one of the final lessons he can communicate to his disciples. He gets up, he girds himself with a towel, begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And here what you see in scripture is a practice known as foot washing. Jesus said that if you are my disciples, do this in remembrance of me. Now I want you to think about this, okay? Notice the context. Jesus knows, number one, that his time is short and that he's about to go back to the Father. Number two, he's fully aware that the devil is in Judas's heart. And it is at that moment he enacts the foot washing ceremony. Pay attention, this is so interesting when you actually begin to think about what Jesus is doing. The Bible is intentionally laying off, laying right in John chapter 13, what Jesus is fully aware of. And because of what he is fully aware of, is why he takes the next few steps. And he humbles himself and begins to wash the feet of his disciples. And the Bible says something remarkable. Look at the rest of John chapter 13. There's something very interesting in John chapter 13. I want you to see what starts happening towards the later part of John chapter 13. Starting with verse 21. And when Jesus had said these things, he was what? 
troubled in spirit and testified saying, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. Can you imagine that? Here all the disciples are hearing this. One of you is going to betray me. One of you is going to lead to my death. You can imagine as the disciples are hearing this, immediately in their own hearts, there's this feeling of like, no way. I could never betray Jesus. Notice what happens next. Verse 22. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Verse 23. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And by the way, who is that talking about? John, the beloved. That's exactly right. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of who he spoke. So Simon Peter's like, John, start asking him. Notice what happens. Then leaning back on, leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to who? Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Notice this next part. Now after the piece of bread, Satan what? Did you just see that? Notice this again. Look at verse 27. Now after the piece of bread, Satan what? Entered him. I want to say that one more time. Now after the piece of bread, Satan what? Entered him. Apparently at this very moment... After Judas had received the bread, he crossed a final line. You see, at this moment, God was pouring out his love. Waves of mercy were coming towards Judas. Now, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen. The thing that scares us most about Judas is because everyone has the potential to be a Judas. Every one of us. And none of us should think to ourselves, we're so immune from the Judas syndrome. Every one of us is capable. I'm capable of doing that. You're capable of doing that. And here Judas, when these waves of mercy are coming back to him over and over again, just think about it. Jesus actually had washed the feet of Judas himself. Knowing full well the devil was in this man. And then at this like pivotal moment, he offers him a piece of bread. Trying to communicate love and fellowship to him. He even hands him the piece of bread. And the Bible says, and Satan entered him. In other words, Satan took full control of Judas. At that moment, Judas rejected Jesus. He rejected the love that was being given to him over and over again. And it's a moment that makes each one of us tremble as we're reading this, thinking to ourselves, how in the world could he have gotten to this place? What's very interesting, the Bible actually says something in another gospel. It's talking about the Passover, another gospel, and it uses this phrase, talking about when Jesus passed some bread out, and it said, now Judas, who was betraying him? Notice that, that is the present participle. Judas, who was what? Betraying him. Is that past, present, or future tense? Present tense. In other words, the problem with Judas was a problem that was ongoing. He had made it up in his heart that he was going to reject Jesus. And at every step of the way, he was pushing against the Spirit of God until he reached the place where now Satan had access to his soul instead of Jesus. Notice what the Bible says next. 
Verse 28. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should have given something to the poor. Notice verse 30. Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. It was what? When you look at the beginning of the, the scriptures, the book of Genesis, the Bible describes God's glory as light. The book of John begins with this picture of the word was light. And what you are seeing in scripture right now, you are seeing somebody who has rejected God and he decides to walk away from Christ. And sure enough, the time of the day indicates the condition of his soul. It was Night. I don't like reading anything about Judas. Desire of Ages, I'll read, get to the final scenes of Christ's life. I'll come across the chapter entitled Judas and I'll skip that chapter. I don't like reading that chapter. I don't like reading about Judas because the fear I have is that I could be going down that path. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to let you know that is a healthy fear to have. None of us should ever think for ourselves for a moment that we could never be like Judas. Our only safety is found in the blood of the Lamb. Can you say amen to that? Notice what happens next. This is the key part. Verse 31. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, notice this. So when he had gone out, who said? Jesus said, notice this next part, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in Him. If God is glorified in Him, God will also glorify Him in Himself and glorify Him what? Immediately. You know what's so interesting about this part? Apparently Jesus now is about to speak about some things that He could not prior speak about because of Judas. And what you find in John chapter, very interesting, John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16, and John chapter 17 are some of the most beautiful, intimate instruction God has always been wanting to communicate with the disciples. But because of the presence of one who the Bible says had a demon in him, he could not. The book Desire of Ages even records at this very moment that when Judas walked away, that Jesus even lighted up his face, lit up. Almost as his pressure was finally released. Because now the betrayal was 100% complete. The lines were drawn. Judas walked off. And now there wouldn't be this dissension that was very present because of who Judas was. John chapter 14, Jesus begins to describe himself as the way, the truth, and the life. John chapter 15, he describes abiding in Christ. John chapter 16, he describes the office of the Holy Spirit. And John chapter 17, Jesus is describing the oneness that believers can have with Him. And what you are seeing, ladies and gentlemen, is actually a progression of growth that Jesus was wanting His disciples to experience. And we're going to hone in on one of these steps. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, disciples are walking, making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. John chapter 15, are we all there? John chapter 15, notice what the Bible says right here. I am the true what? Vine and my father is the what? Vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not what? Bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he what? Prunes that he may, it may what? 
Okay, now here's where we get into some interesting Bible study. I want you to pay attention to this. Notice what Jesus is saying right here. He's saying, look, I am the vine, my father is the what? Vine dresser. He's the one that puts it together. But he says, I am the vine, the connecting link, the source of nourishment. And then he says, every branch that doesn't abide in me. You know what happens to this branch? He says, it ends up falling away and it gets thrown away. But then he says, but every branch that does what? Bear fruit, he does what to it? He prunes so that it what? Bears more fruit. You know, I had this very interesting story happen to me last year. I go home. And you know, think about Indian moms. It's like, you're going home to rest or maybe take a break. You go home, Indian mom's like, you need to vacuum. You need to reshingle the roof. You need to put the new gutters in. You need to mow the lawn. And it's like, where's the rest, right? So I get home last year and my mom's like, She's like, Anale, please cut the pomegranate tree outside. I said, I look outside in this pomegranate tree. I mean, there's about three or four rotting pomegranates. And it just looks dead and there's some flies buzzing around. And I'm like, I was like, mom, let me just cut the tree down. And she's like, no, just cut the top. And I said, mom, this thing is ugly. It doesn't deserve to live. And she's like, no, no, just cut the top. So I said, okay. I got the pruning shears and I just began to cut. And I cut and I was getting cut up by some of the like the prickly parts of this tree. And I was like, I'm just going to cut this tree down a little bit more, right? And I cut it down. All was left was the main stalk, a few branches, no leaves, no pomegranates, no flies buzzing around. And I was like, good. It looks even worse than it did before. Went back to my mom. She was satisfied. I went back months later, and let me tell you about this. I walked into the backyard, and that pomegranate tree was flourishing. And they had some of the most delicious, biggest pomegranates there. And I was looking at it, and I got, oh, is this a new pomegranate tree? And my mom's like, that's the one you cut? You see, here's the thing that a lot of people who take care of trees, fruit trees, understand that you need to prune off some of the dead parts of the tree so that it could what? Grow even more fruits. And so Jesus says, look, there's two kinds of branches. There's the kind of branch that is about to be falling, falling, it's about to fall off and wither away. And then he says, the second branch though, he says, it's there, it's bearing some fruit, but he says, I'm going to prune it. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, who does the pruning? You or Jesus? Does the pruning sometimes hurt? But praise the Lord, Jesus is doing it. Amen? Sometimes we think to ourselves, we have to do the pruning. But who's doing the pruning, ladies and gentlemen? And He knows exactly where to cut. He doesn't take a chainsaw, just like... He takes those pruning shears, and He knows the places precisely to cut. Can you say amen to that? We need Jesus to prune us. You want to know why? Because when you are pruned, you know what the automatic, inevitable result will be? You'll bear much fruit. Now the question is this. How do we let Jesus prune us? What you're going to find in this lesson is that Jesus will actually say things and then he'll give the interpretation a little bit later on. Now notice this. This is very interesting. Take your Bible. Say in that same chapter, okay? Same chapter, okay? Notice what he says right here. John chapter 15 verse 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he what? Takes away. And every branch that what? Bears fruit, he prunes. For what purpose, ladies and gentlemen? That it may what? 
Do you want to bear more fruit? Please say amen. Notice what he says a little bit later down. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him does what? Does what? Bears much fruit. For with me, without me, you can what? Now notice this. Put these two verses together, okay? This is very interesting. Jesus says right here, in order to bear fruit, you need to what? Be pruned. Notice what he says over here. If you abide in me and I in you, you will what? Bear fruit. So put those two verses together, ladies and gentlemen. How are you pruned so you can bear fruit? Wait a minute. Are you telling me that abiding in Christ will lead to pruning? Which leads to more fruit? I thought that you had to be pruned before you could abide in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, notice what Jesus is saying right here. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he what? Takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he what? He prunes that it may bear what? More fruit. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides me and I in him will what? Bear much what? Fruit, for without me you can what? Ladies and gentlemen, the way you can be pruned in your life, the way you can be pruned in your spirituality is by abiding in Jesus. Can you say amen to that? And he is the one who does the pruning. In fact, it is by spending time in the word of God. When we spend time in the word of God, we are being nourished, we are being fed. And God, the divine physician, the divine surgeon is cutting away the dead parts so that it could what? Bear much fruit. You know something that's very interesting? This week, I was like, I'm going to memorize this verse. John chapter 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and, you know, and will bear much fruit. And then it says, without me you can do nothing. And I was like, praise the Lord. I memorized that verse. Really simple. It probably just took about a minute. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Got tempted by the devil. I was like, no way. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Feeling distracted, I was like, praise the Lord, I know this verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And I was like, praise the Lord, but I don't understand why I keep failing. I memorized the scripture wrong. You see, I had forgotten perhaps one of the most essential parts of that verse. I am memorized it this way. I memorized it. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. The scriptures actually say, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can what? Ladies and gentlemen, how do you know somebody is living in your house? Give me an indication somebody is living in your house. Huh? Their property is present in the house. If their property is not in the house, that's a good sign they're not living there. How else do you know somebody's actually living there? Yes. Food disappears out of the refrigerator. I like that one. How about this? You see them there. Ready for this one? Oh, this one's going to blow your mind away. They don't have to knock to get inside. <gasps> Wait a minute. How do they get inside? They have keys. Ladies and gentlemen, 
If Jesus is abiding in you, you want to know what? He doesn't need to knock at the door of your heart. If he's abiding, you know what that means? That means he can go in and out of your house anytime he wants. And if Jesus is abiding in you, you know what you're going to find in the house called your life? You're going to find his stuff there. And guess what? If Jesus is living in the house, you know what you're going to see? Jesus is there. Can you say amen to that? Ladies and gentlemen, we can abide in Christ by going to church. Amen? We can abide in Christ by having a routine Bible study every morning. We can abide in Christ by going to prayer meeting. We can abide in Christ by all our routines. But for Christ to abide in us means that we need to be open at any time, any place, for when the Spirit wants to spend time with us. That is the difference between us abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. And so what Jesus is saying right here, he's like, look, I want to abide in you because when that happens, he says, man, I'm going to start pruning away the dead stuff. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to start bearing fruit to God's glory. Can you say amen to that? You know, it's very interesting. Something Ellen White says about the Bible. For those who thus lay a hold of the divine assurance of God's word, there are wonderful possibilities. Wonderful what? Before them lies vast fields of truth, vast resources of what? Power. Glorious things are yet to be revealed, or, or to be revealed. This is the most amazing part. Privileges and duties which they do not suspect to be in the Bible will be what? Did you get that part? Privileges and duties which they do not even suspect will be in the Bible and it will be made manifest to them. In other words, as they're spending time in the Word of God, as they're listening when the Spirit is calling them away to spend time with them, they're going to discover things that the Lord wants them to do, things they never imagined would take place. You know what's interesting? With this Patterson church plant, I was... uh, I've been really praying. I'm like, God, speak to us. Give us the strategy. The Bible says the wise in heart receive commands. We need to know what is the best strategy. A month ago, we got this um, uh, sit down with like the mayor and with some of the town officials. I was reading one morning and the Bible says, he who brings gifts comes before great men. And I thought to myself, I know what we'll do. We'll bring some gifts. And it's so funny because all we had left around, what do you get to people on a, on a, on a county health council? What are you going to get them, right? Some veggie-links? Anyways, so I was like looking around, and Lisa was looking around, Rob was looking around, and we found these health cookbooks that we've had in our church. We're like, let's give them these health cookbooks. One of the most embarrassing part, though, was there was like one of the pages dealt with natural suppositories. I was really hoping they weren't going to look at that page. But anyways... So we get there, and we pass it out. Just as I was reading the scripture that morning, I just felt, oh, this is what we need to do. So we pass it out. And it was, everyone appreciated. They're like, hey, we want you to keep coming to these meetings. No one's ever done this before. And it was so interesting. Then, literally, just a few days ago, Lisa was planning to meet with some of the town officials over there. And I felt the same impression again. So I tell Lisa, I was like, Lisa, bring some gifts to these people. And she's like, why? I'm like, just do it. And she ends up doing it. Praise the Lord for five workers who listen to their pastors. Amen? Right? 
I talked to her two days ago, and she told me that she decided to wrap cellophane, strawberries, whatever. And she brought it to each one of these people. They were so blown away by this. Let me tell you something. We were planning a cooking school that we're looking for a place. And they're like, we'll find you the place. We'll pay for it. And if you need food, we'll buy the food for you too. And we were talking about the school, potentially the school. We could not rent the school because of the cost. It was $150 per hour. That's expensive. Plus you had to pay for a security guard. They said, we'll take care of all that for you. Ladies and gentlemen, here's the thing. When you spend time in the Word of God, God will teach you how to profit. He'll show you how to find success. In fact, notice what it said right here. All who walk in the path of humble obedience, fulfilling His purpose, will know more and more of the oracles of God. Notice this next part. Let the student take the Bible as his guide and stand firm for principle, and he may aspire to any height of what? Attainment. Learning to abide in Christ. Ladies and gentlemen, the purpose of abiding in Christ, spending time in the Word, is not simply so you can get more Bible knowledge. Amen? Seventh-day Adventists aren't called just to be biblical trivia pursuit experts. Abiding in Christ is life. And this whole week I've been so blessed. I've been able to partake of abiding in Christ. And I'm not a perfect person. But ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you something. I have been experiencing the fruits of abiding in Christ. I actually lost seven pounds this week. There's a fear pastors have. It's called the pastor's belly. If it gets worse, it's called the conference front. Pastor Nell has gained about 25 pounds. I was weighing 202 pounds literally just a, f- a few days ago. Started spending time with Jesus, and I was noticing, glory to the Lord, not to Anel Kanda. I'll tell you, there's nothing in Anel Kanda. I've tried, trust me. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. And I was noticing myself having self-control. I hope I'm not going to eat my words later on. Self-control and I started having exercising self-control because I was abiding in Christ. And it was like the Lord was giving me all the strength and all of a sudden it wasn't like I was eating these big old meals for dinner time. I was looking at my weight scale and I was like, I dropped a pound. I dropped another pound. I dropped another pound. I'm eating hot cereal every day. I don't really like hot cereal every day. And it was just like this. So many blessings were coming forth. This is where it gets even more interesting. Notice what verse 2 says again. Every branch of me that does not what? Bear fruit, he what? Takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear fruit. Remember what I said? Jesus describes the, the situation and then he gives the interpretation. Notice what he says a little bit later down. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a what? Branch and is what? Withered, they gather them, throw them in the fire, and they are burned. Notice what Jesus is saying in verse 2. He is not saying, well, the Father is just angry at some people and throws the branch away. What He is saying is that these branches are not receiving nourishment. And if they're not receiving nourishment, you know what starts happening to a branch? It withers. And that's not the branch you want to build a kid's swing on. Can you say amen to that? That's an old dead branch. God isn't upset at this branch. It's that this branch is not abiding. And because it's not abiding, it's not receiving what? Nourishment. And because it's not receiving nourishment, it starts withering. Falls off and it's no good for nothing except for firewood. Now this is where it gets even more interesting. Remember what I said to you. Jesus describes the situation. Then he gives the interpretation. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and what? I in him bears what? 
much fruit. The question is exactly what is that much fruit? For without me you can do nothing. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Ladies and gentlemen, according to Jesus, when you abide in Christ, you bear much fruit. The question is, what is that much fruit? Look at the cause. Look at the effect. Look at the cause. Look at the effect. According to Jesus, your body in Christ, you'll bear much fruit. What is that much fruit? I hear whispers, but I don't hear anybody talking. Let me read it again. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, cause, bears much what? Fruit. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Ladies and gentlemen, according to Jesus, what is that much fruit? I need a bed right now, I'm falling asleep. According to Jesus, what is that much fruit? No. Abiding is the cause. The effect is the much fruit. What is that much fruit? This is nice, guys. You ain't getting a communion wafer until this is done. I'm going to read it one more time to you guys. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him does what? Cause and effect. What's the cause? Abiding in Christ. The effect bears much fruit. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Cause. Notice the effect. You will ask what you desire and it shall be what? Ladies and gentlemen, you want to know what that fruit is? It is a victorious prayer life. Jesus is saying, when you abide in me, you will have a victorious prayer life. When you are praying, things will happen. The problem is, many people are saying, well, I'll I'll abide in Christ when he does these things for me. Jesus is saying, no, no, no. You need to spend time with me. And when you spend time with me, you will know what my will is. You will know what these things are. You can start claiming these promises. You can start praying for these things. And it shall be done for you. And guess what, ladies and gentlemen? Jesus, you ready for this part? He prunes away... Some of the branches that aren't bearing some good fruit. They're not bearing a lot of fruit, I should say. So they could bear more fruit. You know what Jesus is trying to get you to that place of? He's trying to get you to that place where you have a consistent, ongoing, growing, victorious, powerful prayer experience that He possessed. And the key is when you abide in Jesus. Can you say amen to that? In fact, take a good look at the end of that verse. Matthew, or excuse me, John chapter 15. Look what the Bible says right here. John chapter 15, go to verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you what? Ladies and gentlemen, how is God glorified? According to this verse in verse 7. How is God glorified? By your prayer life being powerful, by the fruit that's being... When your prayers are being answered. Did you know that God actually wants to answer your prayers? And the more you grow in Him, the more He wants to answer those prayers. It is actually a desire of God to give you the desires of your heart. Can you say amen to that? In fact, notice the next part. This is very interesting. Verse 9. As my Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 11. This is key. These things I have spoken to you that your what? Joy may be full. Ladies and gentlemen, that your joy may remain in you and that your what? Joy may be full. Ladies and gentlemen, do you know what the whole purpose of abiding in Christ is? The whole intention of God is to make you happy. Do you want happiness? Isn't the desire of every human being to want happiness? Guess what? It's God's desire too. Amen? It's God's desire for you to be joyful. 
And I really want to challenge you guys on this. We've heard so many sermons about spending time in the Bible, but I want to start challenging you to be open to the Spirit of God when He's calling out to you and say, spend some time in the Word right now. To be open when He calls you aside just to go out for a walk where you can pray and commune with the Lord. We need to be more and more open to Christ abiding in us, not just us abiding in Christ. The Bible says you'll be pruned. And when you're pruned, you're what? Bear much fruit. And when you're bearing much fruit, you know what's going to happen? Your prayers are going to be answered. And guess what? Your prayers are going to be answered. More prayers are going to be answered. And more prayers are going to be answered. Guess what? God is being glorified. And God is being glorified. He is being joyful in the fact of what is happening in your life. But it comes right back to the root. Abiding with Jesus. About a week ago, I challenged the Lord on this issue. And said, God, I don't even know how to abide. I'm a pastor. I spend time with you in the Word. It's not working. Teach me how to abide in you again. And the Lord has been so good to me this week. One of the happiest weeks of my life. I can honestly say that. Not because of circumstances. Still not married, amen? Why are you saying amen to that? Still have the same old car, still live in the same old shack with the firefighter's ambulance. But guess what? The joy has been present there. How many people, by the way, raising hand said, Lord, I want to abide in you. Guess what? With this communion experience, it can be the beginning of that. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you so much that you are glorified when we bear fruit. And that fruit, Lord, is our desires being fulfilled. Lord, we just thank you so much for the gift of communion and abiding in you. Lord, teach us how to abide again. None of us are perfect, God. But we want to do as you have taught us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.